0: and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 2. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. Today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 18, Killed by Death. In particular, I'll cover why the pace in this episode feels slower than usual, the use of flashbacks, some fuzzy major plot turns and the very subtle advances in the season two series arc. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Killed by Death was written by Rob Day's Hotel and Dean Batali and directed by Darren Serafian. We start with Conflict, Buffy climbs over a stone wall into the graveyard, and she is coughing as she does. She stumbles when she lands on the ground and puts her hand to her head, clearly feeling ill, but struggling to patrol anyway. As she moves around a tombstone, she almost stakes Xander, and Xander says, Damn, Buffy, my whole life flashed before my eyes. I gotta get me a life. Cordelia and Willow are with him. Willow scolds Buffy for being out patrolling when she is so sick. And Cordelia says half the school is out with the flu, and we're all concerned about how gross you look. Buffy insists she needs to patrol. She's not going to let Angel kill even one more person. From behind her, Angel says, oh, come on, just one more, and he runs for Cordelia and knocks her down. Buffy pulls him off of Cordelia. They fight. She is struggling, but she does get some good punches and kicks in. Angel, though, says her being off her game kind of takes the fun out of it. Then he hits her really hard and says nope still fun the others join in and help fend angel off buffy is angry at them insisting she's fine and then she collapses and we go to credits. When we get back, Willow, Xander, and Cordelia are bringing Buffy into the emergency room. The doctors whisk her away after saying she has a high-grade fever, and possible fractures. Willow says call Giles, tell him what happened to Xander, and then to Cordelia call Buffy's mom and tell her not what happened, just get her here. In the next scene, Giles paces and cleans his glasses as they wait in the emergency room waiting area. Joyce appears very worried, and the doctor comes out and says that Buffy has stabilized. But the doctor wants to keep her here a few days to heal. This is about five minutes in. Usually a little before this, we see our story spark or inciting incident. It comes about 10% through any story and sets our main plot in motion. Here, the main plot will be Buffy defeating a monster that is killing children in the hospital. So the fact that she now must stay in the hospital is what sets that plot moving and the episodes are about 42 to 44 minutes long so at 5 minutes this is a little bit late but around in the range where we usually see that spark. Everyone walks along with Buffy's gurney as she's being wheeled to a room. She gets agitated when she hears she has to stay in the hospital. She's a bit delusional from the fever, which is a good thing because she starts raving about getting the vampires. Giles reassures her, says they'll take care of those vampires, and then he tells Joyce it's best to humor her. The hospital hallway, like so many places in Sunnydale, is dimly lit, and we will see a a lot of dark rooms and hallways in this episode. Xander is really shaken by seeing Buffy scared. He says he's never seen that before. And Joyce explains that when Buffy was a little girl, her cousin Celia, who we've never heard about before, died in the hospital and Buffy was alone with her when it happened. This tells us almost everything we need to know about this backstory, and in my view, it makes the later flashbacks for the most part unnecessary this also stands out to me because usually the show is so good at getting exposition in through conflict conflict that's compelling and interesting by itself and here we have a little bit of conflict because Xander is shaken and of course Joyce is worried about Buffy but it's not a conflict between Joyce and Xander so it does feel more like just handing us information It's very quick though. So I I think that generally it works. The other thing about... This mention of Celia. This is an example of sometimes you need to backfill backstory that maybe you didn't uh, you didn't think about in advance as you were setting up your story, particularly if it's a series, uh, whether TV or novels or movies. And so you add in something when you need it. And generally, an audience or readers will go with that as long as you're not contradicting anything from the past. It helps, though, if there is, uh, if you can tie that new backstory to something that we've heard about before. Here, for example, if we knew there was some sort of tragedy in Buffy's family's past, but we haven't really gotten that. Also, this is such a big thing to, to be, I think we find out later she's about 10 years old, to have watched your cousin of your age die when you were 10 is so traumatic and it seems like something that Buffy might have alluded to somewhere along the way, especially because being the Slayer is so much about death and saving people. So this too feels a little bit clunky to me, and maybe it only stands out because the show is so overall well-written that when you get these moments that aren't quite as elegant, it sticks out. Joyce now says she uh, needs to go call Buffy's dad, and John Giles takes her to show her where the phone is because this is before cell phones were very common and Joyce tells Giles she really appreciates how he looks out for Buffy. I think it's not an accident that she says this as she's going to call Buffy's dad whom we have not seen since season one or actually I take it back we saw him in the pilot of season two when he brought Buffy back. She spent the summer with him but since then we haven't seen him i'm not even sure he's been mentioned since then and i think this linking of it though it's it's fairly subtle helps us believe that joyce is grateful for giles presence in buffy's life as opposed to wondering why is the high school librarian at the hospital before she is when her daughter uh, is brought to the emergency room joyce also tells giles she was sorry to hear about miss calendar and that buffy told her the two of them were close I really like this moment and unlike the previous one where we get exposition this one feels more genuine for one thing Joyce is feeling awkward she's like I don't know if I should say anything but Buffy told me and she tells him Buffy's been so down since it happened and Buffy never gets sick so we know this probably is part of what has made Buffy vulnerable and even though Joyce is giving us information here. I like the little bit of tension, her sort of uncertainty. Should she raise this with Giles at all? And his response, he appreciates that Joyce said something to him about it. And this reminds our audience why Buffy is so concerned about missing even one day of patrolling and allowing Angel to kill even one more person. These types of reminders are helpful to do when you are telling a longer story in a short story you probably wouldn't do that but in a novel if you haven't visited with certain characters in quite a while or something happened very early in the novel maybe in a prologue and you're halfway through and it hasn't been referenced before it's nice to throw in something to help the reader remember that and I feel like that is what the show is doing here along with showing this developing relationship Relationship between Joyce and Giles we switch to Willow and Xander who are worrying that Angel could attack Buffy while she's in the hospital because it's a public building so he can come in anytime we then switch to nighttime so we've raised this issue of Buffy's added vulnerability she is sleeping she's hooked to an IV drip her arm is in a splint she opens her eyes and a little boy pauses in her doorway and looks at her then walks on another man follows he uh, is odd looking he has long curly hair a hooked nose a bowler hat he looks a lot like freddy krueger from the nightmare on elm street series which i have never seen it seems kind of amazing given that i do enjoy buffy so much and horror but i've not watched that series so if i miss any other allusions to it i'm sorry about that buffy gets out of bed and starts walking in the hall. The hall spins a bit and the colors fade so now we're in a black and white scene. We see a little girl walking through the hospital hall and into a room with a curtained bed. This is the first of the flashbacks that I'm not sure adds anything because we already know that Buffy as a little girl was in the hospital and saw her cousin die. I think it might have been more interesting if we hadn't gotten that exposition from Joyce because now we would see this scene and we wouldn't know for sure that that was Buffy as a little girl and we might think it is part of just the strange happenings at the hospital adding some mystery and giving us as an audience something to figure out and a way to be more engaged with the story next we see Buffy in her hospital bed again the time on the clock is the same as it was before she saw the little boy so we know at one point or another in this she has been dreaming. We're about 10 and a half minutes into the story so we're nearing the one quarter mark through the episode in terms of timing. Usually around here we will see the first major plot turn that comes from outside the protagonist and spins the story in a new direction. Here Buffy is yet again walking the halls and she sees orderlies take a body out under a sheet and one of them says he hates it when they lose the young ones. At about 12 minutes in, Buffy is peering into the room and two doctors are arguing about the treatment of the children. The male doctor, who we'll find out later is Dr. Backer, tells a woman doctor to take it up with a board if she doesn't like his methods and she says that she has. At almost 12 and a half minutes in, a little boy and girl come up behind Buffy, the boy who will learn is named Ryan says to Buffy he comes at night the grown-ups can't see him he tells Buffy that he was with Tina and then Tina died and Buffy asks who he is and the boy says death and we go to a commercial so that's a a great hook into the commercial as far as the plot turn I think maybe that whole sequence is the plot turn because this is where we find out that probably there is something supernatural that is causing the children's deaths or perhaps it's the doctors but but something more than simply um, a bad flu when we come back from the commercial Xander is sitting outside Buffy's room. Angel comes through the hallway. He is holding some white roses. Xander stands in his way. Angel taunts him, saying Xander couldn't stop him if he wants to go into Buffy's room. And Xander says maybe not, but there's a security guard over there and cops and orderlies, and together they might be able to. Angel mocks Xander, calls him Buffy's white knight, says Xander still loves Buffy and he leans very close and whispers into Xander's ear, it must just eat you up that I got there first. Xander responds, you're gonna die and I'm gonna be there. Angel slaps the white roses against Xander's chest and leaves. Xander lets out a breath, very shaky, and sits, which shows us how tense and frightened he was in that confrontation. As far as why Angel leaves, I don't believe that even the orderlies and Xander and the cops combined could stop Angel but I think we've seen that one he wants to terrorize her he doesn't necessarily want to kill her yet and also I feel like what we've seen of him when he does kill her he wants it to be a very emotional dramatic moment for her not in the midst of a bunch of chaos with all kinds of people around. So I buy that Angel would leave. We're back in black and white. Buffy as a little girl is playing superhero with her cousin Celia. After declaring that she is Power Girl, Buffy saves Celia who is buried under a bunch of pillows. This flashback doesn't move our story forward. So it is definitely one that is not necessary to the plot, but it is really fun to see little girl Buffy as Power Girl and it does add to the character development in that we see that Buffy and her cousin had fun together and were close. It also adds to my view along with the next part of the flashback that this might have been a more intriguing episode to watch if we didn't already know that backstory because next we see Buffy approach the hospital bed where Celia sleeps. If we hadn't already known that Buffy watched Celia die, this could be really engaging. As it is, this flashback of Buffy going up to this bed, for me it just slows down our story. Buffy wakes up, it's morning, she's much more perky. The doctor tells her her fever went down. She's surprised to see the swelling on Buffy's wrist is gone, and Buffy is ready to leave the hospital, but the doctor Tells her she needs to stay another day to be sure the fever is really gone. Buffy asks about the kids dying, but Giles comes in uh, along with Cordelia, Willow, and Xander, and the doctor leaves. Xander has brought balloons. Willow brings Buffy her homework, which doesn't make Buffy really happy until Willow adds that she did the homework for her. Then she steps back, and everyone kind of looks at Cordelia, who is empty handed. And Cordelia says, nobody told me I was supposed to bring a gift. I was out of the loop on gifts. And Giles says, it's, it's traditional among um, people. They take Buffy for a walk outside and she tells them about Dr. Backer and his experimental treatments and that a little girl, Tina, died and Ryan said he saw death. The others are a bit skeptical that there's anything unusual going on given that the flu is Going around and it's really bad. Some of this scene too feels slow to me because much of what Buffy is saying to them we have already seen. And it's not typical for Buffy to recap information from the same episode. Yes, we get some of those reminders through conflict, such as the reminder about Jenny, but that's a reminder about what happened in a previous episode. There is some conflict in that the Others are pushing back against Buffy's theory. And we do get some of my favorite dialogue. Cordelia points out that Buffy might just be looking for a monster to fight because that's easier than dealing with her feelings about her cousin's death in the hospital. And Giles says, Cordelia, have you ever actually heard of tact? And Cordelia says, Tact is just not saying true stuff. I'll pass. Buffy says that Ryan is afraid of something. And as long as she's forced to stay here, she's going to find out what it is. So the others, though still skeptical, offer to help. Cordelia and Xander sneak into the records room. They split up to look around, and the security guard comes in and confronts Cordelia. At the library, Giles tells Willow that Cordelia might be tactless, but right. Death and disease might be the only things Buffy can't fight, and she might really need a Defeatable opponent, especially after what happened to Jenny. But Willow says, on the we live on the hellmouth side of the situation, the kids might have seen something real. And Giles says, sometimes children do see something adults miss the true selves of adults, their hidden faces. And they start researching Dr. Backer. Back to Cordelia, uh, she is flirting with the security guard to keep him distracted while Xander keeps looking around. And she is getting information because she says to the guard, I bet you see a lot of tragedy like that little girl who died. And he says, Dr. Backer understands the truth about children that sometimes they die. Xander drops something and the guard is about to go check out the sound, but Cordelia, clearly struggling for something to say but making it sound very natural, tells him he has the most perfect nose she's ever seen and he must work out. Xander sneaks out when she follows. He is jealous of her flirting. She calls him on it though when he says he needs to stay at the hospital to protect Buffy and she says oh your obsession with protecting Buffy have I told you how attractive that's not we are now approaching the midpoint of the episode If you are finding the story structure discussed in the podcast helpful and you would like to know more about it or apply it to your own story, you can get free story structure worksheets from the link in the show notes, or you can get the ebook or paperback edition of Super Simple Story Structure, a quick guide to plotting and writing your novel. If you would rather listen to it than read it, it is is available in audiobook form there's a link in the show notes on that please feel free to email me your thoughts about buffy to lisa at lisa lily l-i-s-a-l-i-double-l-y dot com or to tweet me at lisa m lily hashtag buffy story So we are 22 minutes in. This is where we should see a major reversal for our protagonist or a strong commitment by the protagonist or both. Neither feels all that strong here, although we will see a reversal and a commitment later. This is another reason the story for me doesn't have that much momentum. And I said last week this wasn't one of my favorite episodes and I I did not remember where the particular plot points happen or why that was and now that I'm looking at it I do think it is part of why the episode lags. Buffy is looking stronger. She walks down another dim hallway and goes to the play area in the children's ward. Ryan is drawing a picture of the scary guy that Buffy saw and Ryan says he'll come again tonight. At 23 minutes in Buffy says she leaves him and they both know there are real monsters and she's not going to let this one hurt him or any of the kids. So this is a commitment on Buffy's part to protect Ryan and the kids. What gives it less power for me is that it doesn't feel like throwing caution to the wind, a full commitment to the quest because Buffy, that's what she does she protects people so it, it doesn't feel like a big moment or it doesn't feel like something that really propels the story forward it more just feels like yeah that's what Buffy does at the library again willow finds dr backer's records he's been sanctioned for risky procedures and controversial treatments we go back to a very dark hospital uh, the doctor is in his office he's checking test tubes in his refrigerator as he whispers to himself and then he makes notes in a journal this is an Another scene that perhaps we need it so that later we know this is Dr. Backer's office, but I don't know that we do. I don't know that it really adds anything given what Willow just told us. Xander is dozing in the hall outside Buffy's room. Cordelia brings a bag of Krispy Kreme donuts and coffee and sits with him. I like this moment. There isn't dialogue, but I feel like there is this shift just in the way the scene is directed and acted, we get the sense that despite a bit of an argument earlier, Cordelia is there for Xander. She is also concerned about Buffy and understands the need for someone to be there. Dr. Backer starts to inject one of the kids when something invisible starts hitting him and slashing him. Ryan watches as Backer is killed. We see it in shadow on the wall. At 26 and a half minutes in, Buffy gets to the door of the children's ward just as Backer is being thrown out of it. An invisible being knocks Buffy out of the way and drags the doctor off down the hall. Now this seems like a major reversal for Buffy, but it's past the midpoint where I feel like we, we really needed that stronger push. It also could be the next major plot term, which usually comes about three quarters through the episode and comes from the protagonist's commitment at the midpoint but turns the story in another new direction because here it is the first time Buffy gets a look at the monster even though he's invisible she sees part of what the monster does and it knocks into her but we're early for that three-quarter turn the episode is about 43 minutes long so we will would normally see that around 30 or 31 minutes. We will see another turn there, so I don't feel like this moment is it. The other thing that kind of bothers me in this episode is Ryan has watched this monster kill a doctor. I know he already saw it kill a little girl. We didn't see that though, we heard about it. Now we have seen this and it is just so traumatic and there isn't much of an acknowledgement of that. I mean that's what I See as truly the major reversal there because Buffy has not been able to protect Ryan from seeing this monster kill the doctor, who it turns out was trying to help him. In Buffy's hospital room the next day, Giles tells her that Tina's records show that she improved after getting the flu, but then deteriorated suddenly. And he and Willow think it's because of Dr. Backer and his questionable methods. But Buffy tells them the monster monster killed Backer. So again we have Giles telling Buffy. uh, I I think the info on Tina's records is new but the part about Dr. Backer's methods is not. And then we have Buffy telling Giles something that we just saw. That the monster killed Backer. I'm not sure how you would do this scene without that because they both need to convey that information to the other but it's another thing that usually the show does so well and here uh, feels slow there is a really nice moment though where Buffy shows Giles Ryan's crayon drawing of the monster and Giles looks really troubled and he takes off his glasses and says this is your work and Buffy says no it's Ryan's. They're trying to figure out why the kids see the monster and Buffy doesn't except for that one time when she was delirious with fever and at that moment Joyce walks in They all look very serious, and she says she hopes she didn't interrupt a secret meeting. Cordelia says, you sure didn't, far too adamantly. Joyce has good news. The doctor says Buffy can go home, and she is understandably puzzled when now Buffy doesn't want to when before she had been so insistent on going home. Buffy claims she doesn't feel quite well again, and Joyce says she'll go talk to the doctor. So this is 28 minutes in. This, too, could be a great midpoint commitment for Buffy because despite her fear of hospitals and how insistent she was on leaving even when she was delirious she is staying I would have liked that as well as a midpoint commitment to show us how much it means to her to protect these kids after Joyce is gone Buffy asks Giles to uh, do some more research and figure out what this monster is Buffy then says I'll check Backer's office." see if I can find any post-its that say why a monster might want me dead. She asks Willow to come with her because Willow will better know what the medical terms might mean. Xander says he'll stay on sentry duty and that Cordelia should help Giles research. Giles looks distressed and says why do I have to have and he cuts off as Cordelia stares at him and he backpedals and says good thinking he can use a research assistant. But she is not fooled and Cordelia he says Let's go, tact guy. At a little after 30 minutes in, Willow and Buffy break into Backer's office and Willow finds his notes and says Backer was trying to give the kids controlled doses of the virus and raise their temperatures to burn it out of them. We see Buffy looking at the test tubes in the refrigerator. This covers everything we saw in that scene with Backer in his office, looking at the test tubes and making notes. Another uh, reason why the episode feels like it has filler in it and feels slow and this is something I try to do when I revise personally I think it is better to eliminate a scene that does cover that same ground unless there's something of great emotional or character significance in revisiting it we switch back to the library another really fun moment Cordelia is looking through the books across from Giles as he also is researching but she keeps interrupting and asking well what does this demon do and Giles explains it and she says what does that one do and he explains that one looking irritated and the third time she says what does this one do Giles says it asks endless questions of those with whom it's supposed to be working so that nothing ever gets done and Cordelia says boy there's a demon for everything Giles slams his book shut walks away from the table and says he's not sure they'll ever find the monster since it's invisible to adults this is such a nice moment one just for the dialogue but also because we see Giles frustration and irritation not just in snapping at Cordelia but in his motions slamming the book walking away from the table and I like that he says you know we may never find this and why because it shows us that yes he's irritated with Cordelia but what he is really worried about and angry about is they're not getting anywhere and that it is unusual for them to get nowhere at about 32 minutes in Cordelia says well it's not in here closes her book and then we see the front cover and it is a drawing of the monster by timing this is the three-quarter turn or three-quarter mark at least in the story and in a way it's it arose out of the midpoint where Buffy told Ryan she'd protect the kids. It does turn the story in a sense because now Cordelia will tell Buffy what the monster is and what it does. But it doesn't feel like much of a major plot turn because we already knew there was a monster, we already knew it killed kids and Dr. Backer, and we knew what it looked like. So it doesn't feel like a new direction. Uh, When Cordelia calls Buffy and starts talking about the monster and what it is, Buffy Says who is this? Cordelia uh, persists and tells her the monster is called Der Kinderstot, and the name means child's death. It feeds on children by sucking the life out of them, and that it's basically looking at the children's ward as an all-you-can-eat kind of thing. When Giles gets on the phone, he tells her it gorges by sitting on the prey, pinning it down, and it must be horrifying. Buffy then flashes back to Celia's death, and Celia is. screaming with her hands up as if to push something off of her. So this flashback does move our story forward because Buffy freezes and it's hitting her that this monster is what killed Celia. Again, if we hadn't known about Celia's death, this would have been a really neat moment. All those flashbacks, we as the audience would have put together, oh, this is why we keep seeing these little girls in the hospitals. I think I would have really enjoyed that and I would be so curious to know whether there was a version of this script where Joyce didn't give that exposition and whether someone came back and looked at it and decided that maybe it would be too hard for the audience to put together the pieces. So we're at 34 minutes in and Buffy says it killed Celia and I have to defeat it. This could be that three-quarter plot turn it's it's a tiny bit late but it does spin the story in the sense of now Buffy has this personal reason to kill the monster the reason that also doesn't quite work for me as a turn is because again Buffy was still gonna go kill the monster maybe this makes her more committed Uh, But if that's the case, that too would have been a great midpoint commitment because Buffy would have this personal stake in it. So Willow reassures her, yes, she'll defeat the monster, but they aren't sure how Buffy can do that when she can't see it. And Buffy says she only saw it when she was crazed with fever. And then it hits her. That's why Celia saw it and why Ryan saw it. So it's not about children and adults. It's about who has the fever. This is a bit of a turn. In in fact, this probably is the three-quarter turn because now Buffy knows it's the fever that makes people see the monster. And this is what propels her forward from this point on. Buffy could have had this realization back when she first mentioned how she only saw the monster when she had a fever and uh, either the doctor or Joyce came in and interrupted. So this realization, it does doesn't really grow out of anything she was just told yes now she had the flashback to Celia and realizes Celia was probably seeing that monster on her. But for me, that just doesn't feel like enough of a difference that Buffy wouldn't have made that connection earlier to having the fever and seeing the monster. And the only reason she didn't is we had someone happen to walk in and interrupt her. So that's an example of simply delaying a realization for chance reasons. That can work very early in your story if it's... It's a tiny hint of an idea and then something derails the protagonist to do something else that's very typical in a mystery. And it works early because the protagonist doesn't know enough yet to know what's significant and neither does the reader. So you can weave in these little clues and it makes sense the protagonist doesn't put the pieces together. But the fever and seeing the monster, that discussion happened the first time well into the episode. episode when they already knew that that was an important thing. So it feels artificial that it was simply delayed and that makes it less dramatic here when Buffy does put those pieces together. The rest of the episode is more dramatic because Buffy now takes a really significant action. She and Willow go back to Dr. Backer's office and Buffy drinks some of that serum to make herself sick again. Willow says, well how are you going to fight with a fever and Buffy says she'll find out and she starts feeling weak and sick almost immediately. This too could have made a nice midpoint commitment though we would have had half an episode to go with Buffy so sick but it truly is a throwing of caution to the wind. We saw that she could not fight very well with that fever against Angel and now she is making herself that sick again. We don't do a ton with it because there isn't a lot of episode left so Buffy made herself really sick they went to the children's ward and all the kids were gone and we cut to commercial so that was another good hook before the commercial where did the children go and when we come back we see a quick scene with the kids running through a basement hallway Buffy is looking at that empty ward and the monster fades into view he too is looking around the ward he doesn't See any kids, but he does see Buffy watching him. He laughs and tips his hat to her, then exits through a door labeled basement access. So we know that he has figured out where the kids must have gone. Buffy's doctor comes around the corner as Buffy is trying to get into the ward. I guess the door is locked. The doctor sees how ill Buffy is, tries to take her back to her room. Buffy and Willow break away. The doctor has called for security and in another hallway, security guards stop Willow and Buffy. Buffy gives Willow a desperate look and Willow starts uh brushing at her legs frantically and shouting about frogs as if she's trying to get them off of her. This is the moment I mentioned in a previous episode where Willow fell asleep in the library and woke up uh, very startled and talking about tadpoles. And Giles told her where she was and asked about the tadpoles and she said she had frog fear. It's nice seeing Willow make use of that. The guards fall for it and surround Willow and Buffy runs off. As much as I love this moment, I feel like these scenes with the doctor and the security guards, yes, we need barriers in our protagonist's way. So it shouldn't be easy for the protagonist to accomplish pretty much anything in a story. There should be obstacles. But these aren't arising out of the antagonist. The monster doesn't send the doctor there or the security guards, and it would seem very unmonster like if he did. It's not supernatural. And the hospital itself is not the villain here. So that could also be an interesting story. And so these obstacles to me don't feel as strong as the ones we usually see in Buffy. That being said, I do love the teamwork aspect. I love how smart Willow is and how quickly she acts. Buffy runs or staggers around the corner and finds Xander. He helps her down to the basement, partly supporting her. And on the way down, he says, you don't know how to kill this thing. And Buffy says, I thought I might try violence. And Xander says, solid call. So now we are at our climax, about 38 minutes, 40 seconds in. The monster is attacking Ryan. All the kids are screaming. And we will hear kids screaming for pretty much all of the climax, which is another Somewhat unbuffy like thing. Usually we don't have all this screaming, and to me it feels a bit like the laugh track in the sitcom that it's telling us, oh, you should laugh there. And this is saying you should be really afraid here. For whatever reason, I'm not, maybe because. I don't in any way think that this is going to end with the monster killing more kids. But it is holding Ryan down. Its eyes pop out and they are almost like corkscrews that go down towards Ryan and then clamp onto his forehead. So I guess that isn't exactly a corkscrew, but both of them kind of look that way spiraling down. Ryan is crying and screaming and holding up his hands the way Celia did in Buffy's flashback. Buffy is able to get the monster off of Ryan but she is struggling to fight it because she's so sick. Xander herds the kids out of the way and he stays to watch Buffy fight. All he sees is Buffy fighting because the monster is invisible to him. It gets Buffy pinned. We're in her point of view again and its eyes pop out and are spiraling down toward her and she finally reaches up and snaps his neck. Xander uh, first asks if she's okay and then asks if the monster's dead because he heard something snap and Buffy says that would be his neck. Uh, Xander holding her up as they walk out of the basement says you're not going to yak on me are you? We have moved to the falling action where the loose ends in the story are tied up. There aren't a lot of loose ends here but this falling action is pretty fun. Buffy, Willow, and Xander are all in Buffy's bedroom. They're laying on her bed watching TV. Buffy Buffy is still recovering a bit, and Joyce brings her sandwiches with the crust cut off just like Buffy likes, but it turns out not quite the right peanut butter. She wanted crunchy and I think a different kind of jelly, maybe. Xander and Willow ask for drink refills and chips, and Joyce claims there are no more cheesy chips. But Sandra tells her there are. They're hidden behind some other things in the cabinet. And she says she'll go get them. Joyce is really good humored about this. She has a lot of patience with all three of them. When she comes back, she tells Buffy that Ryan sent her something. Buffy opens the envelope and inside is a drawing of her killing the monster. Joyce looks rather bemused and says, oh, he drew you a picture. How nice. And that is the end of the episode. Killed by death is- is the very definition of a monster of the week episode. We have had those before in Buffy, but I feel like usually they have a little bit more in the way of plot or character development. Here, Angel doesn't really step up his harassment of Buffy, though he does goad Xander. At one point, Buffy says Angel put her in the hospital. I feel like that is clearly not the case. She's in the hospital because of flu. It seems pretty obvious she would have collapsed anyway. She was so sick I think fighting any vampire or demon would have put her in the hospital. There are though those great moments in this episode and it does in some very small subtle ways advance our plot and foreshadow the seasons. I will talk about that in the spoiler section. There's also no DVD commentary. I did see something interesting on IMDB. Be the movie connections page, and I'll put a link in the show notes to it. It says Joss Whedon modeled the um, monster after Freddy Krueger, Nosferatu, and the Boogeyman. Uh, So I'll have to I'll have to look up some photos of both Freddy Krueger and Nosferatu side by side, and just see what elements I see from Nosferatu there. It also mentions that a line of dialogue references the most famous scene in The Invisible Man when. Xander acknowledges that he won't be much help in a fight against the monster because he can't see it. He adds, but if I see a floating pipe and a smoking jacket, he's dropped. There's also a reference to the 1957 movie, The Seven Seal. Oddly, since I didn't see the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, I did see The Seven Seal. University of Chicago ran it as part of either a class they had or a film festival. It is about a character grappling with death With a capital D. And that is uh, referenced in dialogue because in that movie, the protagonist plays chess with death. And Xander has a line uh, where the he and it refers to death. He says, Ooh, if he asks you to play chess, don't even do it. The guy's like a whiz. That is it for this episode, other than spoilers, which I hope you will stick around for. If you don't, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you will come back next Monday. For I only have eyes for you. And we are back for spoilers. When Xander says to Angel, you're gonna die and I'm gonna be there, I can't help feeling that this moment might be part of why in the season two finale, Xander chooses not to tell Buffy that Willow is doing the spell to give Angel back his soul. She has the sword. She is about to go into battle with Angel. And Xander almost tells her about Willow doing the spell and then he doesn't and instead says, kick his ass or tells her that that's what Willow said, which is worse. So maybe this interchange with Angel is part of why Xander doesn't tell her that, that Xander really wants her to kill Angel and for him to be there. Now he won't be there, but I feel like be there in spirit. However, I do think Xander has other and better motives about that and I'll talk about that when we get to the episode. Another moment here that I never noticed before in terms of foreshadowing is that moment when Joyce tells Giles, how much she appreciates him looking out for Buffy and maybe it's it's less foreshadowing and more that it adds a layer to the season three pilot when Joyce becomes um, or expresses this anger at Giles and says she blames him for Buffy running away because he had all this influence on Buffy's life and he knew about this whole part of her life being a slayer and he did not tell Joyce about it the drawing that Ryan sends at the end of the episode and the fact that Joyce sees it that is one of those subtle moments that I feel like does advance our season plot because Joyce sees this drawing of Buffy I think it's with her foot on the monster and she has clearly killed it and that I think contributes a bit to our finale of this season when Joyce sees Buffy dust a vampire right in front of her. We were told in the beginning and we've seen over and over that even when people in Sunnydale see a vampire um, attack someone or even they see Buffy kill a vampire, they find a way to rationalize it and we know that's what Joyce has been doing but that is getting gradually whittled away as we go through this season and even though Joyce is only seeing this drawing, somewhere in her mind has to be, why would this little kid draw this? So that when she does finally see Buffy dust a vampire, I feel like having seen this drawing has opened her mind a bit. And instead of rationalizing it away, she is finally willing to listen when Buffy tells her she's a vampire slayer and what that is. Now we'll see, she still definitely has trouble with it and pushes back against it, but it makes it much more believable that she doesn't do the rationalizing and forgetting finally when Buffy and Angel fight in the graveyard it foreshadows the fight that they'll have in part one of becoming where Angel doesn't seem to be giving it his all and Buffy is a bit slow to realize that and definitely slow to grasp the reason for it and I feel like the scene at the beginning of this episode lays the groundwork for that because Angel he probably could have killed her then she had the flu yes the others all sort of gang up on him and hold out crosses but if he wanted to end it there it seems pretty certain that Angel could have done it if he had even backed off and waited a few moments to when Buffy collapsed but he didn't because Angel isn't ready to kill Buffy yet and Buffy I think absorbs this so when she is fighting Angel the first time in the finale it is much more believable that it takes her a bit to realize that there's a reason that he is stalling so that is it for killed by death I hope you will come back next Monday for I only have eyes for you that is the episode where both Angel and Buffy are taken over by ghosts music for this episode was composed and performed by Robert newcastle buffy and the art of story is a production of spiny woman llc copyright 2020